0: Well, good morning. good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful day! It is because I get out, look out and see you all. It makes it a beautiful day. So, just wanted to thank Seth and uh, the band the, and everyone. Vicky first service. Chris was sick, and so couldn't make it today. But everyone just kind of jumped in. Troy just, just just jumped right in and and took it off. So we appreciate them very very much. Um. <clears throat> And I guess, we, I don't know if this got said or not, but there is no luncheon on November 10th. We just have, have the, the meeting right afterward, but there won't be a lunch on the 10th. So I just wanted to get that out there and tell your friends, because we forgot to announce that at the first uh, service. Well, here we are. Can you believe it? We're, we're almost through Jonah. Only took four weeks. <laughs> and it's been quite a cruise, hasn't it? Um, today we, we look at Jonah 4. And just to recap uh, what um, Nathan said last week on chapter 3, it was about the fact that you know, the fish vomited Jonah out uh, on some dry land, and the Lord said, Go to Nineveh, preach the word. So he did, and it uh, turns out that they listened and they repented. Even the king called the, the whole nation to repentance. And God heard their hearts, and so he, he uh, spared them and didn't, uh, didn't destroy them. So, uh, you know, Nathan, you know, went on that, 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 that thing, but that's where they left it last week. So we come to chapter 4, which is really kind of unusual, only in the sense that I don't know that I've ever read any other scripture where someone said God didn't do it right. So chapter 4, verse 1 says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. You get that? Wow. It's quite a statement. God, you got it wrong. It seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was uh, still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He so didn't want that word to go to Nineveh. And I think he didn't want to return to Israel because he'd be perceived as a traitor. It just ended. I just want it to be over. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now, Jonah had gone out, of, uh, out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and, wanted, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and dried and died overnight. And should I not have concern, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and also many animals? And it ends here. Hmm. You know, I, I, I was reading about that 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. Either he's referring to all the people who, because they were so vile, so violent, so corrupt, they didn't know what was right. Or he's talking about there might have been, as as some say, 600,000 people, and 120,000 of them were children who did not yet even know how to make decisions in life. And many animals. So I'm thinking, I'm picturing God sitting up on his throne, And he's looking down here and he's shaking his head and he's going, Jonah, 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 when are you going to learn? You try and run and hide from me, even though you know it was impossible. I saved you in the belly of a huge fish when the sailors threw you overboard into the the storm driven sea. You actually prayed from the depths of the sea. And I showed you my mercy and had the fish vomit you out in dry land. I called you again to preach to Nineveh, and only then reluctantly did you go. And Jonah, that wasn't even a half-hearted message you preached to them. Still, I being a merciful God, as you well know, I chose to spare those people from death because they repented. And now, look at you still sulking because I didn't do what you wanted me to do Jonah, Jonah Jonah when are you going to learn that I am God and you are not (laughs) it may surprise you to learn that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah although it is a a real true story Jonah as much as it is, is about us about you, about me This is our story. This is my story. This is your story. So let's start close to home. How many of you have a neighbor who, for example, if they moved away, you wouldn't be bothered at all? (laughs) How many of you live next door to a neighbor who fills their trash cans to overflowing, the squirrels come along, rip open the plastic bags, and all the trash blows into your yard, and you're stuck having to clean it all up. How many of you have a neighbor who has a thousand dandelions in their front yard, and you're stuck trying to fight and dig and spray like crazy so that to keep that yellow menace out of your picture-perfect yard? And what if you woke up one morning and God told you, go to your neighbor and invite them to church? (laughs) No, 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 no. God, wouldn't it be much easier if you just put a for sale sign in front of their yard? Let them sell, send in a new family that I can get along with? That's what you really need to do, Lord. Lord. Besides, if I ask them to church, what if they say yes? That might mean that I would have to sit with them. What if they actually accepted the Lord and decided to commit themselves to Jesus? Why, they may want to talk about Jesus with me all day. No, Lord, not me. That's too much to expect of me. You know, it's extremely unlikely that any of us will ever be called to go to Nineveh, to a place like that, and to preach to them. But we each have our own Nineveh to which we are called. Maybe our Nineveh is to go to someone who is totally different than us someone of a different religion, of a different economic background, of a different culture, or worse, a different. Political point of view? God forbid that Democrats and Republicans could actually sit in the same house of worship and worship together. I can't believe I just stepped over that line. (laughs) But to me, being a believer about Jesus is not political. Jesus is king, Jesus is sovereign, Jesus is Lord, and we don't elect him into that position. Amen. Amen. And he is Lord over all nations, and all people, and all government, and all government leaders. He's Lord over Congress, he's Lord over Senate, he's Lord over the White House. You know what, for, for us... Our Nineveh may be to just obey the scriptures and actually pray for our government officials instead of complaining about them. Amen. Mm. Folks, Jesus unites, politics divides. I just wanted to say that this week is election week. Keep it in mind in a couple of years. God wants, you know, if God wants you to minister to someone who thinks differently than you, what? are you going to do? Wait for a fish to show up? <laughs> and none of us have had to experience three days in, a, in a, the intestines of a fish, but we've all wrestled with God. Last week, or two weeks ago, Nathan, uh, Steve said that uh, when you wrestle with God, you're not going to win. When you wrestle with God, the only way to win is to lose. You know? know? Yet we do wrestle with God and inevitably the Lord releases us from that struggle so we can start over again and be obedient to his call. Has that happened to you? Has has the Lord ever given you another chance to obey him and do what he asks? Too often though when we are given that second chance we do it, but we do so half-heartedly. We go to someone different from us and try to give them an encouraging word, but we we do it without enthusiasm. We get involved in some type of ministry, but we have little excitement about doing it. Why We may even increase the amount of money that we, we are giving to God's purposes, but we do so reluctantly. Then we sit back. And we watch to see what God's going to do, never satisfied, thinking God ought to do something else, something we approve of. When are we going to learn? It may take sitting in the scorching sun for days until we get it. And when we're already at our boiling point, God decides to turn up the heat. You know, the good news about the book of Jonah is that God will not give up on us. Even if he has to make us uncomfortable, he does so for his purpose. There's that old saying, and how true it is that God's word comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. That's so true. When we get into the fourth chapter of Jonah, we find that Jonah has not changed one bit after all of that though he did what god asked of him he decides to sit around waiting with his fingers crossed uh, to see what the lord if the lord would change his mind and kill all of those people after all they were enemies of israel an extremely immoral and a violent nation that is until they repented and what was jonah's response to god's question what was, what was his response altogether? He says, Jonas, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? He said, I knew it. I knew it. I just knew you would do that. Didn't I say so? Jonah scolding the Lord because he was right. He knew what God would do even before he left Joppa. to to, to go to Joppa that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish he said I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity he knew that Jonah knew this was the true nature of God to show mercy and Jonah did not want that to happen He still would rather all of Nineveh die instead of said, now he wants to die. So verse 3, now Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Have you ever been so angry with God that you wanted to die? That's a lot of anger. Man. We may not have fallen that far into despair, but we've all had anger toward God. I remember one afternoon years ago in my little office at home on my knees praying, and I I don't know, something wasn't going right. God wasn't doing what I thought he should do. I don't know if it was a decision I needed to make or I don't remember what it was about. I just remember being on my knees and at that point raising my fist to God in anger. And when I looked at my fist... I burst out in laughter. (laughs) I'm going to threaten the Almighty God with a clenched fist? The Lord's going to say, uh-oh, Tom's getting mad. He's clenching his fist. He might punch me in the nose. I better do what he wants. (laughs) Oh, my. The Lord answered Jonah's prayer. Not with what he wanted to hear, but with a question. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? What is Jonah's answer? Silence. He would not answer God's question. Is it right for you to be angry? Instead, he goes out and builds himself a little shelter to wait and see what would happen to the city, still hoping God will change his mind. He was silently challenging God to change his mind, to do what Jonah thought was the right thing for God to do, to wait in silence as he gives the Lord time to think about it and change his mind. Have you ever done that, given God the silent treatment? (laughs) Actually, we probably do it all the time. Sometimes it seems easier to ignore Jesus than to come into his presence and agree with him. Especially when we're troubled, confused, and angry at our circumstances. Why isn't the Lord acting the way I want him to? If he won't fix this, then I won't talk to him. (laughs) I don't feel we do this conscientiously. But we do often turn our backs on the Lord. Our hearts are no longer in it. The desire to serve him has waned. It seems better to turn into a couch potato than to continue to bang our heads against the wall. The good news of Jonah is that the Lord will not give up on us. He's not finished yet. Now it's hot in Nineveh. Really hot. So (laughs) The little shelter Jonah built didn't have air conditioning in it. But he didn't care. He was going to to wait out God until the Lord sent a calamity upon Nineveh. But God did not send a calamity. He sent a vine. A fast-growing vine with perhaps large leaves that stretched over Jonah and gave him some relief from the heat of the sun. There, in the shade, Jonah began to be a little more comfortable. In fact, it was such relief that Jonah became very happy about the vine. Just when everything looks hopeless, God sends relief. That's better, he must have thought. Still, he doesn't thank the Lord for the vine and the shade. He just is happy to have a break from that burning heat while he waits to see what God will do to Nineveh, little things, little blessings, little blessings of life are often taken for granted. We hardly stop to consider how much the Lord is doing for us when little things come our way and make us happy and content. When our circumstances turn around, when our lives are made comfortable, we just kind of lay back in the shade and just enjoy it without giving any regard to the fact that the Lord had his hand in it. God provided the vine. He made it grow up quickly and shade Jonah's aching, burning head. If Jonah gave any thought, it was not, thank you, Lord. How often do we miss that opportunity to give thanks to the Lord? It seems so simple, so coincidental, that we we don't realize those blessings truly come from God. The actual truth may be that we are so blinded by our own selfishness, our own desires, that we cannot see what God is doing on our behalf. I mean, I know there's been a number of times in my life when I've been discouraged and something good happened to me. I felt I deserved it. I felt it was owed to me. I didn't feel gratitude. Jonah was happy with the vine, but failed to recognize it as a gift from God. But at dawn, the next morning, the Lord provided something else. A little worm, which crawled in the dirt and chewed the vine, so it withered. When the sun came up, a torching heat wave came in from the east wind, and Jonah was so hot and miserable that he was about to faint. Again, he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. You know, the worm was as much a gift from God as was the vine. It's true that often when the Lord takes away, it is his greatest gift to us. Quite often, it's the little things that bring us the greatest relief and the little things that bring us the greatest grief. It was just a small worm. But it took away all of his shade and comfort. What it really did was it caused Jonah to re-engage with the Lord in prayer. Hmm. The shade which provided comfort was a gift from God. And Jonah did not even thank the Lord for the gift. The worm which ate and killed the vine was also a gift from God. It made Jonah angry, but him, it brought him back into the presence of the Lord. The true gift of those little things that irritate and infuriate us are often the gift that brings us back closer to the Lord. And again, God asked Jonah the same question, but this time it was about the vine. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? <laughs> you bet I do, he complained. I'm angry enough to die. And once again we find Jonah wanting to face death rather than to deal with what's at hand. So now it's lesson time. Now that God has his attention, Jonah may be able to understand the true nature of God. God tells him that he that Jonah was concerned about the vine, which sprang up overnight and died overnight. The Lord compared Jonah's concern for a vine to the city of Nineveh. Hundreds of thousands of people were in Nineveh. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Once again, there's no answer from Jonah. Once again, there is silence. However, I believe that the writing ends with this question. Because it is a question not being asked of Jonah. It's a question being asked of us. The story of Jonah is the story of us. Who is the Lord concerned for? Who does the Lord care about? Who does the Lord love? Only those who belong to him through faith in Jesus. No. Does not our God have compassion and concern for our enemies? For the people who are not like like us, who who are in our little circles of influence, for, for people who just are different than we are? Is Jesus not concerned and filled with love and compassion for those who do not think the same way we do? Who have different opinions politically, morally, religiously? Does he not love those who reject him and reject us and insult us, who ridicule and demean our very existence? You know, the the question is actually two-sided. First, the the question is rhetorical. Should God God not be concerned about the lost? The answer is an obvious yes. He should be concerned about the lost. He is. We only have to look at John 3.16 to see that. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The relevant question is this. If God is so concerned about those whom we might consider enemies, then shouldn't we also be concerned for them if God so loves the world ought we not also to be so loving as well it is this question that makes us realize we are Jonah should we only be concerned about those we're familiar with who like us and share our interests and values should we not should we only have compassion for those who are compassionate toward us Should our kindness only be extended as far as the kind of people who are kind to us? Should our love for others only be for those who love us back? If we are to learn from Jonah, we must learn that it is not other people who need to change their lives. It is we who need our hearts to be transformed. It is we who need Jesus to dig into our hearts like a plow in the field and plant the seeds of love and forgiveness and kindness and compassion for those who we really don't care about. Mm. Now, this is not one of those hallelujah kind of messages today. I can tell by the way you're just sitting there. This is a message which leaves us in silence, immersed by the question, where is my Nineveh? Who does the Lord want me to love with the same love Jesus has given to me? And the million-dollar question, what are you going to do about it? Last week, Nathan talked about the call to evangelism, to go to those whom God loves. That's our great call, to love and to bring them into the kingdom of God. The book of Jonah is not just about where he didn't want to go. It is also about the message he didn't want to preach. As Jonah did not want to preach the message, sometimes those of us who have been here and preached his word, we also don't necessarily want to speak the message that day. We'd rather preach the hallelujah message, the sermon of comfort and encouragement and and a feel-good kind of a thing. And sometimes we're called to preach the ouch, that hurts message. Now, I have to be honest here and tell you that I believed in these past 10, 10 months, it's been a privilege To step into that pastoral support role. It's just a joy. But I believe that the Lord, 10 months ago, wanted me to preach about certain things and I never did. Never got around to it. It was easier to not talk about them. I felt the Lord wanted us to know something. that, And I was apprehensive that you might not like to hear the word. words, God's word. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes he afflicts the comfortable. And, you know, as a pastor you just stand up here and you worry, what are they going to think? How are they going to respond? Are they going to just, oh, he's just talking about that again. And, you know, and and just turn it off. Like Jonah, I didn't want to preach this message, so today, I'm going to summarize it. (laughs) The question for you is, what are you going to do about it? So in your worship guides is a little insert called Believer's Do List. You all have that? It's not a Believer's To-Do List. It's the Believer's Do List. This is not necessarily what Believer's ought to do, or should do. It's what believers do. It's called church disciplines. And not the kind of discipline of a spanking or anything, but like an athlete who disciplines himself to train hard, work hard, eat the right foods, get the right amount of sleep, and discipline himself to run that race. This is the disciplines of the church. So I want to just kind of review these with you today because I felt I'd been a Jonah and hadn't said anything, so you get it today. The first one is the word go, just go, that's the first discipline. Nathan talked about this last week and we're called to action, we're called to enter our world with God's message of love and reconciliation of forgiveness and peace, of hope and salvation. We're called to go out there to people we don't know, to people we do know, and present the gospel to them. We're called to do this. This is our call. This is our call. When Vicky and I were, were starting a, a church, it was like 1985. It was after that that, that we started. The, we started the church in 85. Um, there was a, a gentleman in the church who was actually the, the the one who was the cause of the division in our church and you know the the, the corruption and the fall of the church. But when you're when you're meeting in a banquet room in a motel because we didn't have a church building, you use the facilities that are there. So I'm in the men's room in a stall and. This man walks in with another man, and I hear him say, I don't know why we have to invite people to church. That's why we pay the pastor. So that was what I was up against. This is our job. In a couple of weeks, we get a chance to vote on whether or not we we like this new man to be our pastor, to lead us. But this is our call. This is for us. This is what we're to do. Go. 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 Number two, pray. Pray. And I tell you what, I Grace Church is good at this. We've done really good. Um, I am just so, so blessed and so pleased by all the prayers that have just been pouring out uh, over this past year. Um, just keep it up. Keep it up. You know, we, we, we started that corporate prayer. We, we've, uh, it's just been powerful. It's been amazing and wonderful. People have been praying. Our church leaders have been praying. We've been praying. There's a question mark on that picture frame right there. We've been praying for that person that God would lead to us. We've been doing it. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep praying. Author F.B. Meyer said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Mm. It's been my privilege for these past 10 months, just about every Monday morning to come down here, pick up these Cards, these prayer cards, and pray for you all. And I tell you, there's there's been a couple that have written the same prayer every time for 10 months, every week. And I just say, Good, keep it up. Keep it up. Don't stop praying, keep on praying. I'm agreeing with you, and and when when we're praying together, when the leaders are praying, and when it goes out and the congregation is praying and our, our prayer team is praying, we're standing with you in prayer. It's what we do. It's who we are. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Number three, meditate or Bible study. You know, if you're ever in that position where you want to hear God in regard to your everyday life, what do you want me to do? We begin by listening to His Word in the Bible. Daily. Daily. And I must confess, I don't do it daily. Anyway, and I like how the Scripture talks about in the first thing in the morning. Because I've discovered, especially when I was working hospice, I discovered that I have so much that has to get done. So much. It's overwhelming. I get up and I want to get an early start so I can get it done. And just go for it. But I discovered, as many others have, that when I start my day in meditation and prayer, somehow that day just goes by smoothly. It all gets worked out. When I don't, I'm a mess. It's just, everything's just mixed up. small doses. I might recommend something. I I love this book, Jesus Calling. Sarah Young has a couple others, Jesus Always, Jesus Today, maybe a few others. But it's just, you know, it's just a very short little reading, has scriptures at the end of it. And I'm amazed, even I picked it up today and read October twenty-seven. Lord, how did you know? How did you know I needed, it happens every time, I needed that word. When we search his word, he will speak to us. He will do that. And I would, I would recommend this too. If you've not gotten into that habit of, of a meditation every day, to start it. And if you find yourself, you missed a day or two or a week or a month or whatever, don't worry about it. Don't try to go back and make up for lost time. Just pick it up where you are and start again. So if this one has dates on it, so if it's been a month, just pick it to today and start from the day. Don't worry about what you've missed. Concentrate on where you are and God will reach you. He will speak to you. Number four discipline is worship. Worship. Now this is not as simple as it sounds. We have many distractions and options out there. We've got snow and ice. We've, we've got the Broncos. You know, there are so many options out there that, that keep us away. A few weeks ago, we went to California to celebrate with our our kids. Our daughter-in-law is done with her chemo treatments, her radiation and everything, and doing well. And by the way, thank you all for your prayers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. But we were there over the weekend and missed church on that Sunday, and I came back the next Sunday it's like, oh my, I have missed this. I missed this. Do you miss worship when you're not here? And I always had a disagreement with Pastor Larry. He always called the music worship. He says, after the worship, I'm sorry, to me it's all worship. Yes. It's all worship. The music that we sing together and my own little bias is this. That because we had I went to a church one time, the music was so loud, I couldn't even hear myself sing. I believe God wants our voices to blend together in worship of Him. And you can't do that if you can't hear yourself singing. So worship in music is, is one thing. But we worship together in prayer. We worship by hearing and responding to the Word of God. We worship in our tithing and our offering because it is our worship To the Lord Jesus, we worship when we fellowship with each other and hug each other and when we leave this place. It's all worship. We were made to worship the Lord. We were made. We were designed for that. Anybody ever remember their catechism class? I mean, that's in it. That's in it. We were made to worship God. Number five is fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. I like saying that word. It's so nice, koinonia. And so much comes from our being together with, with other believers. Edification, encouragement, comfort. We need other people in our lives. They need us in their lives. And we know that. That's why we try to do so many things together. Why we have potlucks once in a while. Why we have game days. Why we do things together. Because we... We need one another. And we need to be there to encourage one another and uplift each other. Fellowship lets us know we're not in this alone. Whatever you're struggling with personally right now, you're not struggling alone. You have a church that is right there by your side. That's what fellowship brings. And now we get to the harder ones. Number six, serve. Ouch. There's plenty to do for the Lord. But you know what? I have always found this, that those who do want to do more. Those who serve are so joyful and excited in their serving that they want to do even more. When I first started my that, that church, I also uh, started a, a, church, um, a janitorial service. <clears throat> and at the bottom of my bills, I always wrote Ephesians 6, verse 7. It says, Work hard and with gladness all the time as though working for Christ. Serving Him. Serving Him. There's joy in serving Him. Now... I'll say this, too, if you give me an extra minute here. Uh, whenever we have a church cleanup day, the toilets are mine. Whoa. Okay. And you might think, yeah, yeah, you might think, weird. I had two people after church, first service come up and affirm this. But um, the reason being is when I started that janitorial service, or when I was, I was, before I started, I was working with another man, I had a daycare center to clean every night during the week. And, you know, that was okay until it came to the bathrooms. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that little boys do not know what a toilet bowl is for. In fact, the toilet roll is a target. And I'm in there having to scrub this stuff night after night after night And one night I just got fed up and I said, Lord, I don't get it. I don't get it. I went to seminary. I have my Master of Divinity degree. I've been ordained. I've been a pastor. I started a new church because you called me in this church. Why are you having me do all of this? And I had my answer. You need to be humble, Tom. You need to be humble. He taught me how to be humble before Him when I humbled myself there. So to this day, cleaning toilets is a joy because I remember that lesson. Working, serving with the Lord is a joy. It's not a have to, it's a joy. Oh, it's a joy. Get involved as if serving Jesus. And number seven. Ooh, ouch. Give. Yeah, this is one of the church disciplines. It really is. Give. Offering, our offering is not tipping God on Sunday mornings, it's not passing the hat. In fact, I've asked those who, who, who do speak up here to, to actually, before the, the uh, offering is received, to, to explain that this is really a part of our worship. This is really a part of our ministry. You know, this is why we give, is so that God can do what He's doing through us. It's a deep response to what Jesus has done for us, and to demonstrate our trust in him. We give because he's given so much to us first. Everything belongs to the Lord. So, in our giving, we're only giving back what's his. You know, when we started that first church, or actually, when we went to our first church, before that, I was a youth pastor, and it was miserable. I was not good at it. And I was going to, to seminary and we're trying to pay those bills. Church gave us this little this parsonage and a little stipend, but it just wasn't enough. You know, we just couldn't survive. And those two years that I was there, we did not give that church one penny. Not one cent. When I'm called to this next church, Vicki says to me, we're going to start tithing. It wasn't a request. <laughs> so we did. We started to tithe and we never turned back. The blessings of the Lord have just been so amazing. I don't even know how I can stand here retired. Because I mean when we started that church I was making 300 a month. My first 25 years, even in, in, a, in a church in a bigger denomination, I never made any more than 25000 a year. God provided. We didn't know how we were going uh, get, to get our son clothes for school. Someone from the church brought us some of their kids' old clothes. My son never knew he grew up on, in, in somebody else's clothing. He just He was just provided for. God always provided for us. I've never heard anyone, never heard anyone complain about tithing, about giving that 10%. It's not that you have to. You don't have to. It's not a law. It's not required. But there's a blessing that comes from it. And I would I would challenge you, if you're not doing this already, I would challenge you over these next two months to start to tithe. One man after the first service said that he was going to. I appreciated hearing that. I challenge you to start to take that 10% figure and say this is my trust in Jesus. I'm trusting him to provide for everything that I need because he's given me everything I need. I challenge you to do that because we may have a new pastor starting in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Do we want him starting out of the church that's in debt? Let's pick it up. Let's pick it up. Just to honor Jesus. I challenge you, if you haven't done this, it's worth the while. Worth it. I I, I spoke earlier of a, a young family I knew that they had this big old Jeep to haul around all their kids. Jeep needed new tires and they were expensive. Really expensive. It was right at Christmas time. And she was saying, she, the wife was telling me, oh, we really struggled over this. We, they decided to start tithing. Said, but we've got these tires, and, 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 and I want to get the tires so my kids are safe in the car. I mean, do I tithe or do I protect my kids? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know the struggle. She said, we decided we were going, to head, going ahead and to follow up with the tithe. They made that decision. Less than a week after, they receive in the mail a check as a bonus from his work, that was more than they needed for those tires. That's what God does, and we're so blessed that our son got that. When he was when he was very little, we taught him to tithe, and he was practicing it. and He, he came up to me one one morning, Sunday morning. Dad, do you have change for a dollar? Uh, no, I don't have any change. Mom, do you have any change for a dollar? No. Why do you ask? Well, my tithe would be—I uh, have four fifty, and my tithe, you know, would be forty-five cents. But I don't have the change. Or no, it would be four fifty. It was sorry, not forty-five cents. It would be four fifty. I don't have the change. I said, just give the five dollars. He had a five-dollar bill. Just give it. Okay. Well, you know, Tom, Tom, Tom. Well, the next day, one of his friends from school, his mother asked if their son could come home with Ryan, their younger son, and just play with him until she could get off work. So, sure, no problem. She comes over, they have a great time, and then she hands my son a $5 bill. And I turned to Ryan and I said, how much more did you give yesterday at church than you wanted to? 50 cents? 50 cents? How much more is $5 over 50 cents? So we helped him do the math. And I taught him this lesson. You can never outgive God. Never. So he goes off to college. And he gets his first job. He sends us a check to give to the church. He says, Dad, I haven't found a new church yet, but I want to send my tithe here first. He got it. You don't know how warm that makes a heart feel. There is such joy in this. I've never heard anyone complain uh, when they see what God is able to do in their lives. Just try it. No, better still. Just do it. Just do it for the sake of glorifying Jesus. So take this insert home. Meditate on it. Pray on it. Do Do it. This is for the church. This is not for the new pastor. This is for us. This is for Christ's church, for all of us, individually and corporately. It's not just the pastor's job. This is our job description. And we are his church. James tells us in the first chapter, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So the question of today, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this list of seven disciplines? Try to run from God like Jonah did? (laughs) Can't hide from God. Put it off until your life is in a better place. Well, something always comes up. What are you going to do? Because we're called to be the church, his church. Years ago, I went to a Billy Graham School of Evangelism event. And uh, when it was over, they were selling the banners. And I bought one of the banners. uh, And all it said was, let the church be the church. I love that. I love that saying. Let the church be the church. Are we going to be his church? Now, do you remember last March when we closed out the book of Romans? And that message I delivered that day was called Watch This Church. Do you remember that? I still stand on that. I still believe that. I still believe that people in the neighborhood are going to turn their heads and watch this church and see what's going on, see what's happening because we are a church that honors and loves Jesus Christ. We raise him up as our Lord and our Savior. We are his church. We do what God tells us to do. That's why this is a believer's do list, not a to-do list. This is what we do. This is what his church does. So I leave you with a question that's the title of the sermon. What are you going to do? Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for the message that we've found and received in Jonah. For the encouragement that we have um, through his mistakes, through his, his, his eyes and through his heart because we realize in many ways we have been that way too. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can grow and learn a lesson from him and that we can, we can take his, this example to, to lead us up, to lift us up. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to go into this world and make disciples of all nations. We thank you for the privilege of of being able to study your word and meditate and to pray and and to hear you speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to serve and even give because you've given us so much. This is your church to which you have called us. We are your body. And you do. What you want to do through us we thank you for that privilege to be able to do that And so lord we come to you today with our hearts made up this is what i'll do because i love you and we thank you for the privilege of sharing in your ministry the privilege and joy of being able to give in our tithe and offering because you love us so much. You give us everything we need. And we bless you for that. And may through this offering we be a blessing to so many others. You know our needs. You know their needs. Let us be the answer because we do this for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did we work that out together? No. No, God didn't. This, this is worship. That's, that's how worship works. The Holy Spirit brings it all together. Wow. Thank you. We surrender. So next Sunday, time change. Don't forget that. Change your, your clocks. There's a congregational meeting after the second service. There's also a women's retreat. And guys, husbands, You need to be here. Wives, if you're going to the retreat, hold them accountable that they come and bring the kids. We won't have classes for the children next week, but we will have, I think they're called activity bags for them to to have something to do. So just come. Take this list. Use it as a meditation. There's seven topics, one a day. Meditate on that. Pray about it. Decide what you can do, then do it. And pray for our pastoral meeting on the 10th and for our church to be able to hear and respond to God. And may the Lord be with you and be with his church and glorify his name. Go in his peace. Amen. And when you do go today, remember, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Amen. Bless you all.